This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown for Libby's Nimer. As Canada's baby boomers age, some analysts project a decline in our economy. But one Canadian researcher is putting those concerns to rest. Fraser Institute's Philip Cross found in a recent study that with the right policies, the Canadian government can in fact instigate growth. He joins me today to talk about his ideas. Also, following February's Heart Health Awareness Initiative, our Libby Snymer was joined in studio by heart attack survivor Joel West of Toronto, along with Dr. Paul O, to talk about the positive effects that healthy eating and exercise have on heart health. Joel is taking part in Dr. O's rehabilitation program at the Peter Monk Cardiac Centre. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's still years away from being widely used, but researchers at the BC Cancer Agency are celebrating an experimental treatment that saw a woman with terminal colorectal cancer go into remission in five weeks. Scientists conducting a personalized oncogenomics trial at the agency used a drug commonly used for high blood pressure to treat the woman's tumor. After five weeks, the woman, who had faced prolonged chemotherapy before entering the trial, was deemed cancer-free. Dr. Howard Lim says the use of genomics testing is still experimental, and it could be years before researchers are able to assess its potential impact on cancer treatment. The Canadian government has a year to come up with new doctor-assisted death legislation, while in France, lawmakers are debating a bill that would let doctors keep the terminally ill sedated until death comes. The government-backed proposal stops short of recommending lethal injections and avoids the terms euthanasia and assisted suicide. French citizens on both sides of the issue held separate protests this past week in Paris. As a Zoomer, you might fear your mind is sometimes failing you, but a new study out of Boston suggests that older brains are in some ways better than younger ones. The study finds that, on average, people think the fastest around age 18, while their short-term memory peaks at around age 25, and the ability to read people's emotional states is best in their 40s and 50s. But crystallized intelligence, the measure of accumulated knowledge, doesn't reach its peak until people are in their 60s and 70s. The lead researcher on the study says the findings provide another hopefully richer and more optimistic window into how the brain changes as we age. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Here's some good news. Canada's aging population does not guarantee an era of slow economic growth. Despite earlier gloomy projections from some analysts, one Canadian researcher says the right government policies will help spur economic growth as millions of baby boomers continue to age. Philip Cross is on the line with me now. And Philip, you say an aging population is not related to an economic decline in Canada. We're not aging as rapidly as a lot of other societies. For example, in Japan or Germany, we're seeing outright declines in population, which was certainly going to inhibit growth. In Canada, there's no scenario in which the population or our labor force actually starts to decline outright. We get a slower population growth, but not a decline. So it's not an apocalyptic scenario. The other thing is, and this is quite a a much more recent development, is as the population is getting older, more and more people are staying in the labor force as they age. Our goal in our society, basically since uh, the end of World War II, was to retire at an earlier age. You, You remember the ads, you know, Freedom 55. But now we find that as people are getting older, Uh, they're more likely to stay in the labor force uh, up to the age of 65. And even we're seeing participation rates rise for people over the age of 65. So it's not as automatic as it used to be that an older population meant uh, a shrinking labor force. Zoomer Media founder Moses Neimer calls it rehirement. People in their older years deciding to change up what they do, still applying the skill set they have, and yet maybe changing their hours and becoming more flexible, but still being engaged and uh, enthusiastic about what they know and what they've been doing for many years. You mentioned in your research that Canada's adult unemployment rate at 5.8% remains at historically low levels. And in order to boost the economy, you're suggesting the unemployed move to jurisdictions with lower unemployment. How realistic is that? Probably less so, particularly for older people. And we know that mobility rates decline sharply. I mean, there's this idea that older people, you know, everybody moves to Victoria. That's not the case at all. Uh, But one reason they'll stay in the labor force is they'll only stay on their own terms. Uh, Older people, for example, show a marked preference for part-time work or flexible hours. And they also like to be self-employed. They don't like working for other people. If they do work for other people, they like to work at small firms, not large firms. Um, Something like one-third of all the self-employed in this country are people over 55. So that's an example of, yes, I'll stay in the labor force, but on my terms only. And that includes staying where I am now. You know, there's a big uh, shift in the way we think about pensions here in Ontario with the advent of the Ontario Made in Ontario Pension Plan, which is expected to be introduced in 2017. Mm -hmm. You have concerns about this. Very much so. My biggest concern is I'm not, I don't see a lot of evidence that we need this. And this goes back to, again, what we were just talking about. Older workers are staying in the labor force. Every year you stay in the labor force, A, you're adding to your assets that you'll have in retirement, and B, you're reducing by one year uh, the time in which you'll be drawing down these assets. So um, I think that's a much better way to address any shortfall of uh, savings that we have for retirement. 
to uh, make it compulsory for everybody starting at a very young age to contribute to a compulsory savings plan is, to me, unwarranted intrusion. I, I would much rather trust people to arrange their own affairs for themselves. And I, I would agree with you. Um, CARP, A New Vision of Aging, uh, the advocacy group, which is part of our Zoomer media, points out that there's still a percentage of the population while you're saying, and I agree, the vast majority are able to set aside money for their pensions, there's still that 10% who are below the poverty level and are in a situation where they cannot support themselves beyond the age of 65. Right. Uh, do we just let those people go, or what do we put in place as Canadians? No, that, and that's exactly the point. There are groups that need government help. The older people who fall into p- below the poverty line tend to be um, wives whose spouses uh, were drawing CPP and then uh, the spouse dies and they don't, you know, they just lose that source of income. So we should be designing pension plans that target these very specific groups instead of bringing in a pension plan that's going to cover a whole bunch of people who, frankly, don't need this. Right. So opt in if you want. Or put in more floor. I mean, we already have programs that are targeted to to put a floor below which people don't fall, like uh, OAS. We need to perhaps uh, broaden or strengthen that. Philip, we appreciate your optimism about the future because we are an aging society and uh, a strong economy looks good. Well, I found myself that uh, as I get older, I'm I'm enjoying my work more, and uh, I think there's every reason to be optimistic. Have a great day, and thank you again. Thank you. Philip Cross is a researcher with the Fraser Institute, an independent Canadian public policy research and education organization. Coming up, Libby Snymer is joined in studio by heart attack survivor Joel West and Dr. Paul O to talk about the importance of healthy eating and exercise when it comes to keeping your heart healthy. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown. There's more evidence that healthy eating and exercise can go a long way toward tuning up your heart. Some heart attack survivors are taking part in an exercise-focused rehab program in Toronto, which is showing promising results. Now 53, Joel West had a heart attack at the age of 51. He's since been taking part in the cardiac rehabilitation program at the Peter Monk Cardiac Center, supervised by Dr. Paul O. Both Joel West and Dr. O joined our Libby Snymer in studio. Okay, Joel, first you start. Tell us the story of your heart attack. Well, it was a Sunday afternoon, um, and I was feeling kind of lousy all day. I'd been feeling just kind of out of sorts is the best way to put it, and I tried having a nap, and that didn't help. And and I started feeling anxious and a little bit sweaty, and I just had the feeling that I should go to the hospital. So I picked up my, my cell phone and I took my tablet along and my pajamas because I had a gut feeling that things would be bad. But what I did was I did go down to the hospital. As I got into the ER, I had a heart attack. Wow. They stopped the heart attack midway, which they can do apparently. Put me in an ambulance and sent me straight to Toronto General where they saved my life. They did an angioplasty and um, sent me to uh, ICU. 
to, to recover. Dr. O, at what point did you meet Joel and what was your prescription for him? So Joel would have come to our cardiovascular prevention rehab program probably a couple weeks after getting out of the hospital. So we see people after having heart attacks or heart surgery or angioplasty, as in Joel's case, once they've recovered from that acute event and start working on the next several months of lifestyle modification, regaining fitness and function and, and getting back to life. And you concentrate mostly on treating this with exercise and fitness. Is that in any way controversial? Um, I, I don't think it's controversial, but in some ways it's it's tougher than the typical medical regimens of here's a cocktail of medications, which are of course important, you know, the ones that thin the blood and lower blood pressure and treat cholesterol. But often we pay lip service to the important lifestyle things because uh, it requires effort on a daily basis to actually engage in those things. I just want to talk about that a little bit because there's been such an emphasis on taking statins and guidelines, at least certainly American guidelines, you know, basically everybody should be taking statins. So are you saying, nah, you don't have to take statins? What, what I say to our patients actually is take your cholesterol pill, but to make it even better, take it out for a walk every day uh, and it'll work twice as well as, as if, if you've just taken the medicine alone. How much of a hard sell is this? I mean, my experience is, like, especially when you get to middle age, there are people who are fit and work out and people who don't. And uh, it's pretty hard to convince the people who don't. It, no, it's such a critical juncture. You know, if you've gone through an event like Joel's, I think the motivation levels are high when you've faced you know, uh, the end, the end, then you'll do whatever you can to change that course. And there is a tremendous difference in terms of risk of future heart problems, depending on the behaviors that you engage in. If you eat well, don't smoke, exercise on a regular basis, your chance of developing a heart problem is very small, 5% or less. Now, I will say that I did the exact opposite of that. I was sedentary. I didn't, did not exercise before my heart attack. I was a smoker. And, and I ate garbage. I, I mean, I, I ate a lot of high-carb, high-sugar foods. You did everything badly. I did the exact opposite of, of what Dr. O has just suggested. I'm assuming you start people off really slowly. Like, how hard is this program? Yeah, so, so the typical starting, we call them exercise prescriptions, you know. So it might be walking a mile in 20 minutes, which is a really comfortable stroll-in-the-park sort of pace. Just starting to get active, and it's often it's the first 10 minutes that's the most challenging, but even 10 minutes a day can start to accrue some health benefits. Okay, now I want to get to the diet part. So you say that you were eating garbage. How Was that a gradual turnaround, or was that cold turkey? That was cold turkey. And as I left for the hospital, I left my cigarettes behind. Very much at the same case, I turned around my diet. How hard is it for most people to turn their diets around? Yeah, so for some people, it can be very challenging, absolutely. But sometimes we view diets as restrictive. In fact, they're very inclusive. So fruits and vegetables, let's prioritize those. Let's have lots of them, actually. We want people to eat more, not less. That's a version of a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. And then you throw in some lean protein along the way as well. But, I mean, we've, we've seen a couple of books that people are, are basically addicted to junk food. So how, how do you get them off it? Yeah. So, you know, we're concerned about salt, sugar, fat as, yeah. as one example yeah. of the, the perhaps the evil triad yeah. in, in processed foods. And moving, and it does take time. I think there is this, this almost withdrawal from uh, substances that we just get acclimatized to, you know. But getting into a, a kind of a, a plant-based regimen takes a little bit of time. But then you realize you wake into new flavors, new, new textures, and actually becomes very enjoyable to eat real food. The other thing that I'm interested in, uh, Joel, you said that over the course of this, you lost 14 inches off your waist. Mm -hmm. 
But you wouldn't tell me how much weight you lost. You say you don't even know. I don't. I couldn't tell you honestly. I think our interest is more on focusing on the process. People that get fussed about weights or focused on weights will say, I've failed because I haven't shed a pound. When, on the other hand, they've learned to be active on a regular basis. They've changed their diets into really healthy programs. They've stopped smoking. So they've done tremendous strides to improve their health, but the scale may not change. We also know that um, irrespective of weight, that fitness is the thing that will actually drive survival. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, I hadn't been to a gym before, honestly. And ever? Ever. I, it's not, it hadn't been part of my life or my lifestyle. I know, yeah. right? And at Toronto Western Hospital, they have a gym. And it's very well appointed. And it's there to get people the idea of getting fit. And they're saving people's lives with this. That's incredible. Or they're allowing people to save their own lives. And that's honestly what, what they offered me, was the chance to go in and to say, if you want to do this, here is how to do it. Now go. And then it was up to me. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Libby Snymer with Joel West and Dr. Paul O. I'm Jane Brown, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with music from the birthday boy, Neil Sedaka. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown. Libby Snymer returns to host next week. It's time now for the International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. In New York City, it's the musical adaptation of the 1951 movie An American in Paris. With music and lyrics by George and Ira Gershwin, An American in Paris is at the Palace Theatre. A major exhibition of Pablo Picasso's Art in Ceramics is making its U.S. debut. It's at the Kennedy Center in Washington. To Paris, France, where the Post Museum revives the memories of World War II with engraved memories, the stamps that tell the stories of the war from 1939 to 1945. And in Budapest, a Buddha statue from China is on display at the Natural History Museum. It conceals the remains of a monk who turned himself into a mummy almost a century ago. I'm Bob Comsick, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Neil Sedaka celebrated his 76th birthday this past week. The Brooklyn native has had music in his life from an early age. He was a child prodigy on the piano and received a scholarship to the Juilliard School. But it wasn't until a year later, in 1957, when he decided to leave his high school band, The Tokens, that his music career started to take shape. Sadaka began working at the Brill Building as a songwriter, but his ability to perform as a solo singer prompted RCA Victor to sign him to a recording contract. He was nearly dropped from the label's roster until he penned his first hit, Oh, Carol, about his high school sweetheart, Carol King. The ensuing decade provided limited success for Sedaka until he found his career revitalized in 1975 following a slew of number one hits and a record deal with Elton John's Rocket Label. In 1976, Sedaka won a Grammy Award for the Captain and Tennille recording of his song, Love Will Keep Us Together, setting him on the path to being inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in the late 1980s. 
To this day, Neil Sedaka continues to write music and tour around the world. You can see him do just that when he takes the stage at Toronto's Roy Thompson Hall this Monday, the 16th. He's raising money for Chai Lifeline Canada. Right now, we'll play his signature song from 1962. Here is Neil Sedaka, and breaking up is hard to do. That was Neil Sedaka with Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Neil Sedaka has just celebrated his 76th birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown for Libby Snymer, who returns next weekend. Please come back and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrill. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.